things only happened outside your comfort zone. The best things that happened to me were also the scariest, the hardest, and most traumatizing. So it's not about doing things because you're good at it. It's doing things because you can discover that you're good at it. And really, you only grow when you do something different, when you push yourself even when it's scary. In fact, do it when you're scared because that's how I've been doing a lot of the things that us are important to me. They're all scary because they matter. Hi everyone, welcome to Seek to Speak. We're at episode 5 of our Seek to Speak podcast, a podcast which aims to empower self-expression, spark speeches, and instigate ideas. I'm your guest host for this week, Adil Ikram. And if you're new here, welcome to our show. And if you're a regular listener, thanks mom. In each episode, we will seek to speak about ways to better verbalize ourselves and share speaking stories. This week, we turn the tables on our regular host and founder of the Seek to Speak platform, Ayn Aisa. As always, I'm excited for you to experience this episode. And of course, I will also be thrilled if you decide to follow or subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a review. It really helps more people discover and access what we do. Alright then, let's get to the interview. Okay, so I'm just gonna read off like your creds real quick. You're the regular host of the Seek to Speak podcast, and more than that, you're also the founder of the Seek to Speak platform, circa 2019. <laughs> when you're not working on Seek to Speak, you are the legal director of a family-owned business. And apart from your day job, you also somehow find time to teach public speaking to kids on the weekends. On a personal basis, I know you to be a very friendly, outgoing, and most importantly, outspoken person who is also very passionate about self-expression and, and instilling a sense of self-expression in other people. But were you always that way? Were you always a friendly, outspoken person? Uh, not outspoken, definitely not. Because I imagine you to be like a, this, I imagine a 10-year-old version of you trying to teach your siblings about, you know, uh, how to spot fallacies, like strongman <laughs> arguments and slippery slopes. No, I wouldn't get much friends if I were that 10-year-old kid. But I was not always outspoken. I sort of grew into my voice. Uh, growing up, I'm actually quite a shy and introverted person. I loved reading books and I loved writing when I was in high school. Uh, and in fact, the reason why I started my speaking journey and how I found my voice was when I, I knew very young that I wanted to do law when I was 15. So when I went into university, I realized that the image of me, which is this shy wallflower who is timid and constantly overthinking, is so contrary and so different and jarring from the lawyers I see in TV, in real life. And I realized that if I wanted to be the lawyer that I envisioned myself to be, something had to change. And when I was in university, <laughs> I think I attribute a lot of who I was and who I am now with the way that I was brought up. I'm lucky that I'm very privileged because I was brought up in a fairly um, middle to upper class household. 
which also meant that I was very, very sheltered, which was a product of my parents making a lot of the decisions for me. So when I entered university, while others felt liberated and free to be away from their parents, I I just felt lost. You know, I was so indecisive. Another trait that was very jarring from what a lawyer should be, confident, making snap decisions, able to think and speak on their feet. So, And I also had all of this time when I was in university that I wanted to fill up. And the one thing that I was since I was very young was that I needed to fill up time with something productive or what I perceived to be productive. So me and my friends, we joined the debate club in university. And that's where I think I found uh, or started my speaking journey. So I take it that the the journey itself for you was uh, kind of it started from being able to meet a diverse group of people from various backgrounds and being able to kind of like relate and talk to them and going through a, a shared experience. But as to the actual debate itself, was it uh, was it easy for you from the jump? Oh, no, absolutely not. When you are... When you are already a very nervous overthinker, over a worrier, this that's not a word, over worrier. I don't Isn't think it, it is. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but if it was, my face would be in the dictionary to show what an over worrier looks like. Because I was so traumatized by my first debate competition. My first debate tournament was like If I could describe it, it was Snow White in the dark woods when she was trying to find a place and running away from somebody that was out to hunt her. It felt like everybody was out to get me. Like I couldn't even speak for six minutes, which was required. I spoke for two minutes and half the time I didn't know what I was talking about. What is corporal punishment? What is the don't ask, don't tell policy? I mean, what is this thing that nobody wants to talk about? And imagine debating on these topics that you had no idea So why did uh, you stick about. with it? Because like, I mean, you, you, the old adage is, right? Like, if at first you don't succeed, then, you know, skydiving probably isn't for you or something like that. <laughs> I mean, you can hear all about my experience on the website, seektospeak.com, but the reason why I stuck to it was even though their whole competition was basically a shattering of confidence, but at the end of the competition, we all sat down and watched the greats debate during the finals and it was just spectacular i remember watching them and thinking they are so articulate this is the image of the lawyer that i want to be in courtrooms they're able to speak their mind they do it without fear they look so some of them are really small but at that point of time when they were speaking they looked like they were 20 feet tall so looking at them and looking at what i could be if i stayed was what really kept me going. And I think I was also lucky because the way that I was sheltered was basically like when Jon Snow was told, you know nothing, in a sense that I I came in the sport very open-minded and I was never arrogant of my skills because <laughs> I had none. But a lot of people forget that when you're not stubborn and when you're not arrogant and when you're open-minded coming in, 
at zero, it's a lot easier for you to improve. When people tell you that you're not good at this, but you're good at this, this is what you should improve, you actually take it to heart and you, you're humble enough to know that there's always ways to improve. And I think that's the mindset that you absolutely need in order to be better. It's not even hard work or confidence. It's really the ability to humble yourself in order to improve. And sometimes I see this in my students as well, students who are really great at the English language, who have the confidence to speak up. And in class, they don't pay attention. They don't really take the activities seriously. And they always fall back. And I've even mentioned this to some of my students. And I said, that arrogance is what's going to prevent you from growing and developing. And I think that's something that's really, really key in developing your own voice into improving yourself as a speaker and as a debater. And I was lucky to have that growing up. So essentially, the debating scene allowed you, gave you the opportunity to create a social life, uh, give you something to aspire to, and a vibe check as well, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yes, constantly. I'm constantly being checked of okay. my intelligence. <laughs> so are these the biggest takeaways from your from the start of your journey, from the your, your varsity speaking experience? Uh, my biggest takeaway from that whole experience, and that was four years strong, was that things only happened outside your comfort zone. The best things that happened to me were also the scariest, the hardest, and most traumatizing. And this time, I want to highlight my first public speaking competition because unlike our previous guests, yes, it was traumatizing. Yes, it was scary, but I had a happy ending. <laughs> the you, can first... check out, you can check out Iswan's uh, interview in episode four. Yes, and also our last speaking story where I told this story of mine, but in short, Every step of the way, I was extremely scared. I was alone because we could only have one representative per university. And I had um, armpit stains throughout the whole competition because I was constantly sweating because the whole experience were ner was nerve-wracking. But before I knew it, I put in the work and I was passing semi-finals and then I was in the finals. And then I just, I won. I literally won the first public competition competition public speaking competition that I joined and it was so unbelievable because and the words that the minister who was announcing the winner at that time said uh, still resonates with me to this day and he said although all of the finalists were good there was one finalist that really stood out and then he announced my name as the winner and it was just a reminder that even our average and normal selves which I perceive myself to be, could be unique and special if we just set the stage for us to be there, to be that, okay? So it's not about doing things because you're good at it. It's doing things because you can discover that you're good at it. And really, you only grow when you do something different, when you push yourself from beyond your boundaries. Because if you do the same things day in, day out, that's basically complacency that's basically not doing anything to better yourself so that's my biggest takeaway always push yourself outside of your comfort zone even when it's scary in fact do it when you're scared because that's how I've been doing a lot of the things that uh, are important to me they're all scary because they matter 
And that's how I gauge whether or not something should be done or whether or not something, this is something I should do or should practice because it's scary and it means a lot to me. That's so great. So you graduated and you joined a law firm and not just any law firm, but one of the biggest, if not the biggest law firm at the time um, was, we know that you wanted to be a lawyer from, from an early age. Was it everything you dreamed it would be? Did it turn out exactly <laughs> how you thought? Uh, yes and no. Obviously, nothing is like the movies. <laughs> and I was naive enough to think that it was. But when I started lawyering, also not a word, when I started my career in litigation, I really, really enjoyed it. It played off to all of the skills that I've already developed and loved. But I always felt like something was missing in a sense that I had all of this free time during the weekends and after, well, not really after work because we, we were really busy. And I wouldn't even say free time, but I just, I just felt like I could do more because everything I did was for myself, was for um, our client, was for my boss. And I wanted to go back to teaching. I felt like I was at a very... Go back to? Um, yeah, so when I was in university, I taught public speaking and debating part-time to earn some extra pocket money. And I just found it to be so rewarding. And when I started working, I started dabbling in teaching at an NGO called the PT Foundation. I used to teach kids who um, were from disadvantaged backgrounds and whose parents were suffering from HIV and didn't have the capacity to teach them extracurricular activities. So I would spend my weekends teaching them English and it was just a really rewarding experience. And the only reason that I stopped was because I had to do my master's and I flew um, that year itself and that's why I stopped teaching them. But... Basically, when I came back from Cambridge and I started working in a corporate law firm instead, I did uh, mergers and acquisitions. And if I thought that I was busy before, I was more busy now. It was an extremely challenging and um, hard job to do because I was also switching roles. But a friend of mine from the Malaysian Institute of Debate and Public Speaking was starting out public speaking classes and wanted me on board to be a teacher. And that's where my teaching, I wouldn't say teaching career, but my passion for teaching was reignited. And yeah, so if I may, there's, there's been a real evolution to your speaking journey, right? In that sense, because like when you started out, you just wanted to find a voice of your own, right, to stand out amongst the crowd, to to live up to what you aspire to be and be more like the people who inspire you. And then with uh, your career as well, it translated really well and gave you a, a, a foothold, right? Like um, a benefit in that sense compared to others who didn't. Mm. And I guess for what we're covering now is your teaching it's it's a change from a speaking journey for self improvement to a teaching journey for a speaking journey for for others now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's 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 change. It's different, but it's the same. Uh, the reason why I feel like it's the same is that I'm 
still trying to be a good communicator and good teacher. And teaching actually makes you or forces you become a better communicator because you're always thinking about the audience. What's best for the audience? How can I enhance their understanding? How can I maintain their interest? And suddenly I was creating all of these lesson plans and all of these concepts that I had in my head, which I had to better package in easier bite-sized portions for them to better understand, for them to better relate. And but, and that's what essentially speakers do. They repackage their content, they analyze data, and they deliver it in a way that makes the most sense to their audience. So yes, being a teacher transformed my speaking journey, but essentially I was still fulfilling a role as a speaker. And being a teacher actually improved my capabilities as a speaker as well and I don't think at any point of time I'm a great speaker because I'm constantly becoming a better speaker I'm constantly changing and constantly evolving I really like that it's really nice oh good because um that's my part-time job (laughs) (laughs) thank you for the income (laughs) do you want to share with us some of your most memorable or rewarding teaching experiences oh my gosh I have so many, like so many, but the one that really sticks out to me right now is obviously the most recent one where we had to, well, I had to teach public speaking online. I mean, everybody knows that public speaking is a soft skill. It's a skill that should be learned through social interaction because it's also about developing things like teamwork, leadership, not just communication skills. And when you have to do it online where you can't actually connect physically with each other, where everything that you see and perceive is limited to a small box in the computer, everything just gets difficult, more difficult, and everything gets more nuanced. But unlike um, some of my other peers and their experiences, I actually found it more rewarding because I was constantly thinking about ways to make classes more engaging and I was extremely happy that throughout um, the pandemic I found that my students started joining my classes not because they have to but because they want to that this was a way in which they could connect to people because um The classes in MIDP is very affordable. So we had a lot of students from public schools. And when I spoke to them, they didn't have classes at all for three months. They couldn't talk to their friends because they didn't own phones. So our classes became like a check-in with everyone for them to socialize. And students who didn't like going to class previously suddenly loved enjoying our classes because it was a way to communicate and connect with other people, especially for my shy students who felt less aware or less nervous when giving their speeches because they were doing it from the comfort of their own home. And in fact, one of my students who did incredibly well for her semester and assessment was Amrit, who is an extremely shy student who really excelled because she looked forward to the classes. She did the work and she was able to be her true self without all of the doubts and insecurities. And she outshined all of the other students and all of the other confident students who typically did better in class. And even when I wasn't in class, 
uh, during my session, I had kids who emailed me saying, when is class? What are we doing this week? And they're emailing me because they don't have a phone. And uh, sometimes they don't have the use of the computers because they're sharing it with others. And I had students who previously didn't want to have anything to do with public speaking, asking me when is the next public speaking competition. They're enrolling themselves in storytelling competitions and doing very well. You know, I had two students who has never joined a public speaking competition make it to the finals of the storytelling competition that MIDP entered. And I think because of the pandemic, people wanted to connect, people wanted to improve. And because of even though they are so young, their lives were turned upside down from forces that are unknown to them. So things that didn't matter or affect them previously, they are now taking, they are now curious yeah. about what's happening. Acutely aware. Of. Yeah, they're so acutely aware because these unknown forces are changing their lives. And we are constantly talking about things that are far beyond the years that uh, are unfortunately are things that kids shouldn't have to think about but are thinking about because it affects them so they just become more informed um, more motivated to do well and I think that whole experience was was just so incredible and in the next semester we're actually going back to physical classes and though I'm glad because we get to go back to all of the things that we should be doing like group work um, manner and nonverbal communication but I'm also sad because that kind of connection we built through the online platform of teaching and learning from each other for three months literally for three months uh, is something that we w would lose but I really hope that they would um, maintain all of the skills and all of the input that we learned throughout this online journey this episode was brought to you by SeekToSpeak.com, a public speaking resource suitable for the casual and competitive speaker. Check us out online and show us some love. I mean, it's really coming across how much you care about these kids and how much time and effort you invest into these kids. Does it translate into the kind of like the materials that you do or like the your class plans? Yeah, I mean, that's how Seek to Speak came about actually because uh, I spent I think I was teaching in MIDB for two years and I have like a process because I'm very organized and it's also part of my confidence plan or regimen I would spend a lot of time doing all of these lesson plans and I always keep it fresh I never reuse my lesson plans I'm always trying to improve on them so I actually write them down or I type type it out and then I print it and then once I'm done with the class I'll put it in my file and I actually have a filing cabinet <laughs> in my home yes and if I pull it out I literally have like 10 or a dozen of files filled to the brim with lesson plans and then I realized oh my gosh um, this is taking too much space. I need to throw them away but it, or recycle them. But it felt so sad to throw away these lesson plans because this lesson plans is the accumulation of my work, but also represents all of the things or all of the knowledge that I had imparted on my students in class. And it's just so sad that once I taught these lessons, it's spent. It, 
it's done, it goes into a folder into my filing cabinet where no one gets to see it anymore. It doesn't get the light of day or it goes into the recycling bin. And that's when I realized that there must be a way to make public speaking more accessible to others. And there must be a way for me to translate all of these pieces of paper that are useless to me in this filing cabinet um, so that it can be useful to other people. And that's when I started writing and trans translating my lesson plans into easy to read articles on public speaking tips and tricks that people of any level can read and learn from and that's how seek to speak came about and i think seek to speak is another representation of my speaking journey which if i say it to you like this i think a lot of speakers can relate so when i started out my my seek to speak i was extremely nervous but I knew I had something to say I knew I had something to say that would benefit people and I need to get it out there but I just didn't know how to do it so I just started writing 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 and then then came the insecurities and the doubts you know because when I started publishing my articles I literally didn't tell anyone about the website because I was so nervous about what people would think and it's funny because when I was writing them I'm like oh what if nobody read it what if nobody sees it what if nobody benefits from it but when it was out there I'm like don't read it don't read it I don't want you to judge me and I think that's what speaking is all about when you are when you have something to say but you're very nervous to say it and when it's out there you're extremely nervous about what people will think about it and now I'm at a point of time I'm at a place where I don't care what people think of my articles as long as it helps one or two people I'm already satisfied because this is knowledge if not for me doing this it just stays in my filing cabinet and no one gets mm. to benefit from it. So I think my speaking, and that's why I also use the word expression, because translating all of these lessons into my website, into things that is easy to understand, is my journey of self-expression as well. Actually, if I can just add, I actually, I checked and... You actually bought the domain rights to seek to speak back in August 2019. So, this is actually your one year anniversary of the seek to speak.com. Yeah, happy birthday, seek to speak. <laughs> happy birthday, seek to speak. But it's really funny because I bought the domain in August, but I didn't start writing or putting an articles out until I think October, November. And then mm. I didn't tell anyone about it until February, uh, even though I've already wrote a couple of articles. And this is what I also want to highlight here is that, yes, you can take your time to uh, put yourself out there, but you have to do it. Eventually you have to do it and you, you, you don't just have to do it. You also have to have the confidence to tell people about it, especially if it's something really, really important. It was something that I had to learn along the way. And I think the most important lesson from all of this is that anything that you do does not have to be perfect at the first instance. Because that's what really stopped me from telling people about my article or even about my podcast is that every time I finish an article, even while I was editing my articles, I would go back to an article a hundred times to make it better. And even after it was released, I would go back and edit it. And that's just a 
a horrible cycle for you to be in because you will always find better ways to verbalize yourself, to improve on yourself because you are a work in progress. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do the imperfect things that get you to the point of perfection. But then at the same time, you're never going to be perfect because you're always going to be a better version of yourself. So what I really learned throughout this process is that Yes, can my articles be better? Absolutely. Can my podcasting episodes be better? Yes, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yes, uh, with the addition of a new co-host, but that is a journey that you should start. And if you self-reject, uh, even before you start, it's not great. It's not perfect. I'm not going to put myself out there. Then you never get to step one, which is the Im- the most important step. And this whole journey has been more rewarding for myself than it is, I think, for the recipients or any of my advice. <laughs> so the inspiration behind the website and the birth of the platform was really because, you know, you, you were developing a lot of resources that you wanted people in general to be able to access. But how did that translate into the, the popular and <laughs> mainstream... <laughs> easily accessible world of podcasting oh my god this is gonna be so embarrassing but i didn't buy my mics to start a podcast but i realized that if everybody was like me where we didn't Wait, have what a was lot it of for time then? what was it for if it wasn't for <laughs> podcasting it was what to read my for? articles oh my god okay so uh Everybody's really busy and sometimes you don't have the time to read articles, especially when you're on the go. And I realized that I'm the kind of person um, that consumes a lot of media, um, a lot of audio media. For example, I subscribe to the magazine Economist, which is a current affairs um, subscription, but I don't read the Economist. I listen to the Economist um, when I am doing my dishes, when I am doing chores, when I am on the way to work, and I realize that hey, wouldn't it be great if I read out my articles and have like um, a, an audio platform where people can just consume my articles through audio instead? So I bought a mic during the MCO and I started reading out my articles. But when I listened to them, they just sounded so horrible. They sounded like word vomit because. Things that translate well, I don't know how Economist does it, but things that translate well in an article does not translate well in spoken English in a way when people consume media through audio, they just want something that's easy to hear and it just sounded so formal. So I scrapped that idea and then I realized that I had this, well, I wouldn't say expensive, but I had this mic that I couldn't use to read my articles anymore. And then at that time, I realized that I really liked listening to radio. And then I started listening to a lot of podcasts and realized that, oh, I can start a podcast instead. And that's where this came from. It was purely accidental and came out of my need to not waste money, (laughs) basically. But I'm I'm really glad that it happened because I think audio is one of the most intimate forms of media because I'm basically speaking in your ears right now. <laughs> I'm that close to you. It it sounds like even though you can't see me, and I think that's why it's even it's it's really great because I don't have to worry about how I look and how you perceive me, whether or not 
you like how I'm dressed. I just have to do what I do best and which is speaking. And that's why podcast, even though it was accidental, it made so much sense now. And I hope to release more episodes weekly and not just bi-weekly if I can just find the time to do so. So does it end at podcasting? What are what are your dreams for Seek to Speak? Oh my goodness. I have so many things that I want to do for Seek to Speak because yeah. it's, I'm so passionate about it that it keeps me up at night. So, you know, see, are, we, are we looking at Seek to Speak ASMR and <laughs> Seek to Speak uh, YouTube channel? Uh, yes, I have all of these big dreams, but I also know that I have limitations and that I also have a full-time job and a husband and a family and a social life. And so I have plans for it. And the immediate plans are basically to have more workshop and events. Um, we are having a, our first workshop, uh, part of the Seek to Speak Civic series. We are having a workshop today on freedom of speech. I plan to have more workshops in the future, at least once a month. Another thing that I really, really want to get started on is speaking clubs because I feel like the only type of speaking club available out there right now are English speaking clubs where people want to learn and practice how to speak English or the Toastmasters club, which is really just about public speaking because and how you speak because they have an um counter, they have a person a Grammarian, but what I really want is a supportive speaking club, which is the aim is not just to improve your communication skills, but to discover yourself and your inner voice and because, build a community. Yeah, and and build a commute a supportive community because I think the best part about speaking is not getting your message across or even changing lives, even though that part is really great. It's about discovering who you are, because the process of creating content and representing yourself to others is a, a process of reflection as well. And you discover your secret self or your true self through this process. And I want that speaking club to be that. Mm. So that is my immediate future plans for Seek to Speak. I have many other plans that I hope I can eventually carry out if I have more time and more manpower. <laughs> yeah. And more support, guys. Support the website. Thanks so much for being, making time. I really appreciate you doing this. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> you doing this. I don't know how to end too. this. I don't know how to end this. It's like, you know, it's so weird because I always see you doing it and I'm always in the background and just as a, like, helping producer. You produce, yeah, helping you produce the show. So, uh, thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope... I did you proud? Yeah, you did. Thank, yeah. Thanks, babe. Okay, so to end it in our usual fashion, Ainaisa, why do you seek to speak? I seek to speak to discover and hone my own voice, which is ever-changing and ever-growing and evolving. I seek to speak to lift the voices of others so that they can amplify their potential. And I seek to speak because... That's the most human thing we can do. So, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the podcast until the end. Um, we're about five episodes in now, and we haven't really addressed our listeners. So we wanted to take this opportunity to thank you guys out there for 
being well, awesome. Yeah, for basically listening and thank giving you. us feedback and all your inputs, very much appreciated. And you guys are awesome. So thank you so much. If you wanted to know the inspiration behind the episode, it's due to unbridled panic from a last-minute uh, gas cancellation. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, oh. this was totally planned. Yes, in exactly. advance. Yeah. So I hope it didn't show up too much in the episode this time around. But I think we had fun. Yeah, um, I did. And if you're curious to know who is our co-host today, oh yeah, I I didn't really introduce myself. Um, Sorry about that. Uh, like I said, my name is Adil Ikram. I am a producer on the podcast and also happen to be an ISS partner. Yes. And... <laughs> Was I supposed to say something? Only if you wanted to. <laughs> but if not, then I guess we'll just see you guys next week. No, no, we're not going to see you guys. We're going to hear you guys. What's happening? We're not going to hear you. You will hear us. (laughs) Bye. Yeah, so next week, yeah, right. So a proper version of this that we'll probably edit in later is, um, okay. Anyway, thanks for listening again. uh, We'll tune in next week with another episode of Seek to Speak. Until then, bye. bye.